Good morning, friends. Um, thank you so much for our prayers for me personally. Um, as, uh, as Peter shared, I would appreciate your prayers for results that are coming and, and just for better pathways to healing. I am feeling a little bit better um, and trying to, trying to finally test out some foods that, that won't cause uh, hours of pain. So that's, that's good. I thank you for the many prayers for that. Um, I, I also want to ask for prayers for this sermon. Um, I, I feel inadequate, uh, not only because I, I feel a little uh, less physically able, but even just uh, mentally and emotionally, we come to a very challenging part of the scriptures um, in in First Timothy, chapter two, um, verse eight and following. But here is the good part: the good part is that we're a church that loves God's word, and we don't skip. We don't skip passages that are hard. And so, if I do injustice, you can blame me. But God's word is God's word. We have elders that you can go to. You have uh, your study Bibles. You have sermons you can listen to online. You, you, can, you can question, be like the Bereans, study the Scripture for yourself to see what it's saying. Ask the Holy Spirit to teach you more than what a man can teach you. And so I ask that you will be prayer, in prayer for me. And I will say something right off the bat. Instead of doing a 50-minute sermon on this topic... I will break it into two for your sake. <laughs> it'll, it'll be part one today and part one to, uh, next week, M- more so that we can adequately deal with the different sections in this passage because it does talk about instructions uh, or, or for, let me say conduct for, for true worshipers in the worship setting and it addresses men and women both. I don't want to skip over the part of the men to get to the part of the women that you probably are more, maybe more interested in, or the other way around. We want to hear God's Word for what it is. And so I ask you to pray for me, even in my inadequacy, and that the Lord will help me to get through today and be prepared for next week, but it will be a two-part message. Let me begin by saying this. Uh, as I've grown up in a little... Um, reformed church in Manhattan and then northern Jersey and all the while going to a little Baptist Sunday school I was always taught the importance of God's Word and the pastors always preached from God's Word it wasn't a side thing in the church or the worship the scriptures were primary importance and we're a church and a denomination that believes that too It's not just a little bit at the end that you read a Bible portion and the pastor says a few words. No, it's it's the way that we hear what God wants for us to live, to be happy, to be successful, to prosper. And I will quote Mark Twain here. This is a tribute to Mark Twain. You know that I was an English guy. Mark Twain was one of my favorite authors. A lot of of wonderful works. You probably read them too. Mark Twain says this, It ain't those parts of the Bible that I can understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do understand. Isn't that good? It ain't those parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It is the parts that I do understand. Well, 
There's not a lot of things to kind of misunderstand in the passage that we're coming to, but different people, even evangelicals and even Christians, self-proclaiming Christians have differing views on some of this because it's hard to take sometimes. It's hard to hear it. But our job is to hear the Scriptures, read the Scriptures, teach the Scriptures as God puts it. When I was a young man growing up, there was a lady in our church, small little church plant in Manhattan, who um, always had a bumper sticker on her car. Every time she changed cars, she would put a new Christian or something bumper sticker to be a witness. She was a nurse, and, uh, and so she worked in the city, and she had this, a bumper sticker that said this, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Do you ever see a sticker like that today? You would get egged or hear something but that's what the bumper sticker said. God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. I want to read to you some verses preliminarily because we're dealing with somewhat of a sticky subject with men and women, their roles, what God thinks about men and women, how men and women should behave, especially in the assembly, in the gathering of the saints, particularly in corporate worship. By the way, that's what this passage is dealing with in the context of corporate worship. Not just private settings in the home, but it's really aimed at that. So that's the context. But let me read you some scriptures, all right? This was the reflection verse at the beginning, 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God, by the way, men and women of God, may be complete, equipped for every good work. Psalm 119, 105. Many of you learned this in Sunday school. If not, you need to learn it now. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Matthew 24, 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. That's a good one, isn't it? Let me pray for us. I just wanted to give you a few of those as we dive in. Let's pray. Father, I do thank You for this day. Thank You for Your many, many blessings on us individually and as families and as a church family. Thank You for Your Scriptures which is given to us so freely. O oh Lord, which one of us does not have multiple copies of Your Word lying around in our house, sometimes collecting dust, and yet we haven't mastered this one book? Forgive us, O oh Lord. May we give our attention to it. May we have eyes to see and ears to hear. And above all, my prayer from my own heart and even my own little ones and everyone in this room, is that You would give us eyes, as the song said, to see Christ. Give us eyes to see Him a little better today. And it's in His name we pray. Amen. So the topic for today is um, God's design for men and women in His church. And so I want to give you four uh, points that I will likely only cover one and two in just the beginning of three today. So we're not going to get to the heavy part till next week, but I would like you to come back. I would like you to not be mad at me at the end of this sermon. I would like you to, to ask God to show you what He wants to show you. But here are the four points. Remember, in the context of 
corporate worship. The first point is, it's about prayer. Two, about dressing and adornment. It's particularly addressed to the women, but it should apply to everybody in some ways. So point two, about dressing and adornment. Thirdly, about learning and discipleship. And fourthly, about authoritative teaching. About teaching, but in particularly about authoritative teaching. And if I have time, I'm going to talk about some common objections that we have all around us. And we, we may, you may have some and others. You may have heard of others and so forth. But in this intro, it's going to be a little bit of a larger intro. I want to tell you that in chapter 1, we heard Paul talk about truth as he writes to Timothy. Truth is important. That's why he was talking about people who teach other things in the church. You may hear of false teachers who try to get in their agendas and things like that. And then uh, Pastor Jeff uh, dealt with that uh, about truth in the life of the believer in the local church. And then he moved on to this topic about prayers. Remember that? And prayers for all kinds of people. Because there's all kinds of people in the church. Men, women, boys, girls, people of different classes, people of different education levels. And then prayers for your leaders. Well, what if you don't like your leaders? What if the leaders are oppressive to you or to Christianity? Well, there may have been a temptation at this church in Ephesus where Timothy, young Timothy, has been in charge and Paul has groomed him to be the pastor or elder of, over that church. What, what, if, what, what if you just skip praying for your, elder, your leaders because they are harmful to the church? Paul says, no. We want them to come to know the Lord too. We want to come, them to come to the salvation of Christ and His gospel and, and in Christ alone. And so we got to pray for our leaders. That's how he was exhorting them. What, whoever they are, pray for your leaders, those in, in authority over you. And that's the context that we come to. And the apostle moves to some exhortations concerning conduct that's acceptable for men and, men, men and women in corporate worship. And so I want to tell you that we're going to go backwards by looking at other passages, particularly in Genesis, over the next two weeks. And I want to start off by talking about Adam and Eve just for a moment as we get a little bit deeper. I told you the intro is going to be a little longer as we go into the actual sections. Listen, God created Adam and Eve and when He created them in the garden, He made them to be complements to one another. Men and women are in a complementary relationship as we see in the Garden of Eden. Adam was created to lead. He was created first. And yet God said it is not good for him to be alone. And so he made out of Adam a woman from his rib to be a helper to him, to support him, to fill in perhaps gaps and where there are voids because together they would be pre-sin, pre-fall, a perfect couple in paradise, in the Garden of Eden. And so Adam was created to lead and to care for Eve as she followed his leadership as her husband. But something happened. And we have been paying the price ever since. 
There has been a distortion of biblical manhood and womanhood ever since then. Do not mistake it. Look around. Read the columns. Read the times. I want to read to you something that John Piper said, well-known pastor in Minnesota. So when God created man and woman, He made us the way that we were meant to be and are truly at the core of our being with the differences of manhood and womanhood so that we would be suited for these complementary roles in and outside of marriage. And in this drama, man was meant to play, listen, the role of Christ and the woman was meant to play the role of his bride, the church. Do you hear me? In this story, man was meant to play the role of Christ and the woman was meant to play the role of his bride, the church. I cannot tell you how many times I've preached from Ephesians 5 during weddings when I've been asked to lead or give the, uh, give the wedding homily. And I say, this is a mystery that is happening, but it's a picture of Christ and His church when we see a man and a woman, a husband and a wife come together. The men are supposed to be like Christ in leading the women and loving them. And women are to, yes, submit in a godly, respectful way to her husband as the church respects and obeys Christ. And that is such a good picture to keep in mind. That was God's perfect plan pre-sin, pre-fall. And now we fast forward to where we are today. Now, I don't have to spell it out, right? There is a mockery of manhood and womanhood. womanhood. This is not a, a slam on women. We know that women, just you know, from what everything that we know, we know that we are equal in God's eyes, and yet there are different roles and functions that God has given. Both are heirs of the inheritance of God. Men are not loved more than women or the other way around. They are together meant to be God's perfect creation. But what have we done? We have totally distorted manhood and womanhood from the, from the Lord's plan and from God's uh, instructions. So much so today, and tell me if I'm wrong, that you could simply say, well, I'm really a woman, and the world would applaud you and say, wow, you're really courageous and brave for saying that. A man could say, not only dress like a woman, but could go into a woman's restroom even though he was a man because he says, I feel like I've always been a, man, a, a woman. That is the world that we're living in. I'm scared for my children. It is a distortion of what God made a perfect couple to be pre-sin, pre-fall. We've come so far. And how does the world respond? Not, that's wrong, doesn't sound okay to me. It's staying quiet and saying, wow, how courageous, how brave you are to do that. Can I read you a verse? Romans 1.32 let it sink. Though they know God's righteous degree, decree, 
that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. That's Paul in Romans 1. What we have to realize is that anything other than God's pattern and God's instruction and God's design is sin. So hear me loud and clear. I might get emails or few looks, but my job is to give you the word as it is. Anything against or different from or different or less than God's design is sin. And ever since that's happened, God is in the purpose and in the plan of in Christ and through His gospel is in the process of redeeming and restoring everything to how it was. Pre-sin and pre-fall. Isn't that beautiful? That you and I are right now in the process of God restoring and redeeming the perfectness as we were meant to be. Men to be men and women to be women. To be our best to succeed, to prosper, to do as much physically and mentally and emotionally. God is through the Scriptures and through the Gospel restoring and redempting. That is what He's doing. And one day it will be true. Totally and completely. We will be who we are meant to be in perfection. But the Lord through His Gospel is is where... Listen, that's my prayer through this passage for today, for next week, throughout the rest of... Conducts for living as Paul gives Timothy and the church and us is that we would shatter what the world says and say, I'm going to go back to what God says. I'm going to shatter my conceptions. I'm going to put to death what the world is saying to me. What the blogs are saying. What the TV is saying. I'm going to go back to what the scriptures are telling me to do and how to be. God's way is the best way. That's Veggie Tales. <laughs> Junior asparagus. God's way is the best way. Well, let me. I told you intro is going to be a little longer, but I have to tell you a few things. Listen, this is controversial. It was in Paul's day. They thought he was controversial then. It's more controversial now. But don't you wonder why does TPC do things this way? Why don't we have women preaching? Why don't we have women officers? We do it for a reason, and it's because of the Scriptures. Because we as a denomination, so far, thank God, we are a denomination that believes that God's Word is the last Word. There's three key passages. We we'll, won't come to it this week. We'll come next week. 1 Timothy 2, 1 Corinthians 11. Remember this, jot it down. 1 Corinthians 14. These are all key passages in understanding what this means for us and what the Scriptures are saying. Meaning, it's not just one place. You're supposed to use Scripture to interpret Scripture and be able to share and look and, and see what is the wisdom of God in the whole counsel of God. 1 Timothy 2, 1 Corinthians 11. You may want to look at it this week before getting to next week. 1 Corinthians 14. Listen, is Paul waffling here? Is he being political here? Is he trying not to be clear here so that everyone could be satisfied? He is absolutely not. He is painfully clear with what he has to say and what he's writing. Secondly, I want to know 
he considers this important enough to write down for the church in Ephesus and for us to have now in the holy, inspired, inerrant word of God for all ages, not just for Ephesus in first century, but for now, for all of us, Paul considered it important to write it down for all to hear. Let me say one more thing. Paul respected, esteemed, and loved the women who were around him. I want you to hear that very clearly. Paul is not a woman hater. He's not a misogynist. He's not anti-women or women working or serving or doing things in the church. In fact, I would be honest by telling you, I think the women are the best part of our church. They're the ones who hold the church together. In that little Baptist church, it was the moms who did all the Sunday schools. Who were the teachers? Jay and I can remember Miss Mickey Elliott and so many others, Miss Karen Carroll. These are people who are heroes of the faith for us because they stepped up. There are so many ways that the, the Apostle Paul values them. Listen, just a couple of things. Lydia, a businesswoman, she was one of the best receivers of Paul's gospel message and supporters of him. Later, we hear about Priscilla, wife of Aquila. Paul so much esteemed her that he didn't, didn't use her by her diminutive name, but her proper name, her full name, and addresses her with respect. Paul's not a woman hater. With great respect. But modern secularists just don't like what Paul has to say, and so they'll throw rocks at him. They'll attack Paul. They'll attack us if we talk about Paul or, or, or in agreement with Paul and so forth. Man, there's a, there's a lot more to say here, but I will say a lot of these people will go to a passage and use this as their trumping verse. Hear Paul on this, everything else comes underneath it. Galatians 3.28 There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. And they say everything else goes under that. Paul's an egalitarian. Paul doesn't see a difference. Men and women are the same. Well, okay, let's just get rid of Ephesians 5 then. Ephesians 5 is all about manhood and womanhood and about a husband and a wife and God's roles for a man and a woman. You'd have to cut out sections of the scriptures even from Paul himself. Galatians 3.28 is not the verse to appeal to to make all of this okay. I'm just throwing that out there so you will look at that too because many use that verse as the platform to get rid of 1 Timothy 2 and 1 Corinthians 11 or in 1 Corinthians 14. Paul clearly doesn't believe that Galatians 3.28 means that there is to be no differences in the way males and females relate the roles that they play or the responsibilities that they have in the local church. So I want to say that right up front. Okay. Whew. Got through with the introduction. First, it comes to this section where it talks about men and how men are to pray. So let me read Verse 8, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or 
quarreling. So notice it's still in the context of prayer because he was talking about prayer, prayer for leaders, officers, those in authority over you, but he's continuing on prayer. I desire then that in every place that men should pray lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. He gives men the command to pray publicly without anger or quarreling. But let's first deal with men should pray. Okay, here's the context in Ephesus. There are Gentiles, many who do not know the Jewish system of worship, many who do not know manhood and womanhood from a Jewish perspective, even from a synagogue worship perspective. These are Gentiles. In the previous section, Paul says, I am an apostle to the Gentiles, not just to the Jews, not just to one ethnic group. God has anointed me and appointed me to be the apostle to all the world, to the Gentiles, to those who do not know a, a, a God before, and to proclaim the good news of the gospel. That's Paul's job, right? So Paul is, as an apostle to the Gentiles, he is saying to the men, many of whom don't understand the difference, in this very cross-cultural setting, keep that in mind, Ephesus, a cross-cultural place, not just Jews, right? And Paul is saying, I want men everywhere to pray. And I think what's going on is men are not leading. Men are not praying. Men are not taking spiritual leadership. Is that applicable today? Absolutely. But he's saying men, first of all, should be leading in prayer. I, I'm, I'm going to... I'm going I'm to say it this way. They were probably seeing in this very cosmopolitan type of setting women who are talented and able and maybe the men didn't pray. Maybe the praying men, men didn't pray enough. Maybe they didn't lead in prayer. But remember again, the context is corporate worship and the Apostle Paul is saying, I want men everywhere to pray. I desire then that in every place the men should pray. First of all, comma, then lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. We're going to come to that for a moment. Listen, it is our spiritual duty, it is our spiritual responsibility to lead in prayer, men. In the home and at church. In the prayer meetings, women are allowed to pray, by the way. We see that in Acts 2 and, and, and in other places. But Paul wants the men to take the spiritual lead because there wasn't a spiritual lead happening in Ephesus. So he, first, he wants men to pray. Secondly, he says, lifting holy hands. Now, at first you might think this is talking about posture, isn't it? So every time men are supposed to pray in the corporate gathering, they're supposed to lift holy hands. Is it about posture? I don't think it's about posture. All throughout the Bible, we see many ways of praying in different postures. Standing, sitting, kneeling, laying prostrate, hands raised, hands clasped, eyes looking down, eyes looking up, bowing, it's not the only posture that's promoted in the Bible, but Paul is highlighting it for a reason, for a reason. And importantly, the meaning of the phrase is more focused on the word holy than it is on lifting. You hear me? 
The focus is more on holy than it is lifting. Now I'm going to tune you into a scripture that I want you to think about to help us flavor this a little. I'm going to read Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. Clean hands are hands not defiled with sin. Don't think as clean as in not being dirty, but rather clean as in repentant, doing away with sin, hating sin. You know, Calvin says this in dealing with this passage. He says the, it's, the, the hands are an outward sign or an expression of an inward reality of holiness coming from a pure heart. So what are the men to do? First, they are to pray, but they are to pray with holiness. Not being a hypocrite when we're praying out loud and leading in prayer. Not living another way the rest of the week, but then when it comes time to pastoral prayer or praying out loud or praying and leading others in worship, that you're a holy Joe. Totally different person. There needs to be integrity. There needs to be holiness. There needs to be clean hands. The clean hands are indicating a, a, a clean heart, not involved with things that are wrong or deceitful. And that's where the emphasis is. It's not in the lifting. And the last part of that verse is without anger or quarreling. You know what Paul says? I think it's kind of an indictment Many times our prayers in the church are not being used or heard well because of the dissension and the quarreling and the bitterness that is in our hearts. He said, especially those who pray. Men are called to lead in prayer. They're called to step up. They're called to have holiness in their lives. But they also should not be men who are quarreling or having dissension or causing divisions. That is not what the Lord wants in His church. And your prayers will be hindered if you pray like that. Have you ever wondered that? I'm going to talk to the men for a moment first. Have you ever wondered, man, I do pray a lot, but I never see anything happening. I don't ever seem to sense God's hand. I don't seem to, to, to hear Him or feel that closeness. Well, have you ever considered if there's areas of sin in your life that haven't been dealt with. I feel like that all the time. It's like, Lord, show me my sin. I know I've been praying for this, but is there a barrier? Is there a hindrance? Is there something that's keeping us from true communion, from you responding to me? Is there a sin area in my life that I need to see and repent of? Without anger. Anger will greatly affect your prayers, friends. You can't be prayer, prayerful and effective if you have anger in your heart against a brother, a sister, a family member, a co-worker, and you're carrying that around. Whether it's your wife or a friend or a brother or sister in the church, our prayers will be hindered. Without quarreling, it's forbidden when coming to the Lord in prayer. So if you desire to be effective, repent of sin and make amends with one another. Let me say this. 
Matthew 5, 23 and 24 should really dig into our hearts because it's Jesus' own words. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother is something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. You know what Jesus is saying and Paul is saying to us? Reconciliation comes before worship. Reconciliation, taking care of those matters between you and another brother, between you and a family member, between you and someone else that you're interacting with, precedes true and proper worship. This is the kind of prayer that God desires. Well, my time is up. Some better stop here since it's a two-parter. I know I wanted to get through two, but we'll do two, three, and four together next week, okay? Don't be angry. <laughs> it's going to be heavy, but it's going to be good. We're going to talk about women in particular over the sections that are coming, but it should be applicable to men too. And the first thing we'll look at is adornment and dressing. Have you ever considered when you get something from the store, have you stopped yourself and asked, what will this do to others when I wear this? Or do you just take what you want and never think about how it impacts others, those of the other sex, but those even of your own sex? There is something to be said about God's instructions for modesty and godliness. We'll talk about that. All right, let's pray. Father, I do thank you that your word is holy and powerful and true. I ask, O oh God, that you would open up our eyes and that we would fall on our faces in repentance and come to you. Lord, I, I pray for our men, our brothers here especially. Help us to lead at home. Help us to lead family worship. Help us to lead in the church. Lord, help us to pray and lead in prayer out of a holiness and out of good relationships. And Father, I pray that you would use our prayers to grow and prosper us. And Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. Prepare us for next week. I pray, O oh God, that you yourself would speak to us before anyone else. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.